We're in Acts. It's it's Labor Day weekend, and I don't know who's, but we got like this whole section right here. Keep filling that up, would you? I'm glad glad y'all are like coming in right here. There there is a bowling tournament that it's happening today. If you couldn't tell, there there's commotion going on. So if it gets too loud back there, you, there's plenty of seats right here in the middle. So you're welcome to adjust. Not going to bother me. So, well, I'm glad that you're here. Uh, where we have where we're picking up in Acts, uh, Paul's. We we left Paul. He had his Damascus Road conversion experience last week. And we pretty much left him in Tarsus. And so now we're getting ready to go to uh, Peter. We're jumping from Paul to Peter in this section right here. And this whole narrative right here just focuses on Peter for a couple of chapters. Uh, and this is the Samaritan mission. If you look at the map, obviously this is I- Israel. We've got our two points We've got the Sea of Galilee at the top. We've got the Dead Sea at the bottom. We've got Jerusalem that's just west of the Dead Sea. And our story picks up. This is a modern-day Google map. And the Lod is actually Leda, the city of Leda back in biblical times, back in the time of Acts, which is where we'll pick up the story. And then, uh, actually, if you just north, of where it says Laud, with that very bottom part of that trail, uh, Ben Garen Airport is just north of that. That is where Tel Aviv is. It's in that whole little area right there. And you'll see Jaffa, J-A-F-F-A, actually is Joppa in the New Testament Greek. So you'll hear Joppa today. It's right there on the coast, and it's actually a little tiny area inside of Tel Aviv. And then you go north, north along the Mediterranean Sea on the coastline, and you get to the city of Caesarea, and we'll talk more about Caesarea today. But just to give you an idea of where we are on the map today, that should help you. So we're going to pick up at the end of chapter 9, end of chapter 9, where we left off. But think about this for a second. Someone being healed is a pretty big deal, right? Right? So wouldn't even the greater deal be for someone to be raised from the dead? It's a little bit bigger deal, right? Than just being healed of something. But then even there's a third one that's a bigger deal than being raised from the dead. Anybody have a clue what that would be? Hmm. I would say salvation through Jesus Christ for eternity is a lot bigger deal than being raised from the dead and having to continue to walk here on earth. So all three things are about to occur right here in this whole section that we get to. Acts chapter 9, starting at verse 32, it says, As Peter was traveling from place to place, he was itinerant pastor. You know what itinerant pastors do? They usually have two or three messages, and they just travel around doing those two or three messages from city to city. And this is pretty much what Peter was doing. He was telling the good news over and over and over and over again. He also came down to the saints who lived in Leda. Now, 
you think about what's gone on here, this is probably probably nine to ten years after Pentecost. Nine to ten years after Jesus has died on the cross. So now this, do you call them Jewish Christians or Christian Jews? Jews that believe that Jesus is the Messiah. This is who the gospel, the good news has gone to, is to the Jews mostly. Some Gentiles, some non-Jews have come to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. But think about this for a second. They've been ingrained in Jewish practice for a long time. And now they believe that Jesus is the Messiah, and Jesus is pretty much freeing them up from what Keith just talked about, freeing them up from the law. And things are changing. The plan about the traditions and the rules and the laws and everything is disappearing because now Jesus has taken the place of this. And they're trying to figure this thing out. How do we continue with our Jewish traditions? Yet, listen to what Jesus says. There's some confusion going on here. And so, uh, now, verse 33 I think it's interesting back in 32 when he uses the word saints because today uh, I think in this room we're all comfortable calling each other saints because we know that's who we are in Christ. But in society, saints means a whole different thing. Like you have to be made a saint by hierarchical authority and only so many people can become saints in our society. Well, it's not true because we know that Paul calls all believers saints. Acts does it rarely, and we see it here. Luke actually calls them the saints who lived in Leda. Verse 33, it says, There he found a man named Aeneas, who was paralyzed. He had palsy, they believe. Who was paralyzed and had been bedridden for eight years. Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. That sounds so simple, doesn't it? Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and make your bed. And immediately he got up. Break that down for a second. No one came and got Peter. It says Peter initiated this. He went to Aeneas and he says, hey, I'm going to heal you today. I'm not going to heal you, but Jesus is going to heal you. And he actually calls upon whose name? He calls upon Jesus' name. It's Jesus who healed him, not Peter. But what actually healed Aeneas? His faith. His faith in Jesus, not his faith in Peter not his faith in Christianity, but his faith in Jesus alone is what healed Aeneas. He says, make your bed. Make your bed. In some translations it will say, make your couch, make your mat. This is what they typically made when they would dine at night. They had this mat that they sat around the table and they would lay there and they would eat. This leads you to believe that it was something very similar to this. And think about that for a second, but his position and being healed indicated that Aeneas retained enough sustenance to recoup his strength because he got up. 
he rolled up his mat and walked off. And this dude who's been paralyzed for eight years and everybody knew it is now walking around the city. What? He's been paralyzed for eight years. How did this happen? He doesn't point to Peter. He says, it's my faith in Jesus Christ. And he begins to proclaim what Jesus has done in his life. Look, it says in verse 35, so all who lived in Leda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. Leda being that little spot called Laud. Sharon being the whole region that was pretty fertile because it was right there on the coastline the whole region began to hear that this man, Aeneas, was now healed after being paralyzed for eight years, and it's because of uh, revival broke out in the land. Watch, verse 36. In Joppa, we showed that to you on the map. It's a little area inside Tel Aviv, which is now called Jaffa. It's just 10 miles west of Leda. It's the same place that Jonah fled to when God said, hey, Jonah, go to the Ninevites. Where did he go? He went to Joppa. I'm going the opposite direction. I'm going to the coastline. I'm getting on a boat and I'm getting out of here. How ironic is that? The same place that Jonah escapes to is the same place that Peter gets the call to go to Caesarea and begin sharing the gospel to the Gentiles. No irony there. It says, in Joppa there was a disciple named Tabitha. Immediately I know where all your older people's minds went. Tabitha actually means the word gazelle. A gazelle being an animal that is brisk and is able to run and has much strength. But he translates it right there, uh, Tabitha being her Aramaic name and Dorcas being her Greek name. He says, which is translated Dorcas. She was always doing good works and acts of charity. Dorcas, Tabitha, has died. It says in verse 37, about that time she became sick and died. Now, when the church body loses a saint, it greatly impacts the fellowship. I mean, today marks the same month a year ago that we lost Todd. And the loss of Todd, Ava, several others that were a part of this ministry, it greatly impacts the fellowship. It makes a difference when you lose a saint in the body. And this is the whole feeling of this group there in Joppa, is that Tabitha was an important part of ministry to the church. It says in verse 37, about that time she became sick and died. After washing her, they placed her in a room upstairs. It was Jewish custom to wash the dead body, get ready to put spices on it, and prepare it for burial. Taking it up to the upper room, I don't think there was any significance to that. 
but maybe they just wanted her body to be closer to heaven. We're not sure exactly why they took her to an upper room. It says in verse 38, Since Leda, which is where Peter was, was near Joppa, ten miles away, the disciples heard that Peter was there and sent two men to him and urged him, Don't delay in coming with us. Now, at this point in the Scripture, there is no indication that the apostles have ever raised anybody from the dead. They've done all sorts of healings and casting out demons and everything else, but no indication that apostles raised anybody from the dead. Tabitha's dead. And they're sending for Peter going, go get Peter right now. Who's their faith in? It's not Peter, but it's in the Apostle Peter who knew Jesus and they knew that Jesus raised people from the dead. We have enough faith in Jesus to believe that the Apostle Peter might be able to do something. Their faith was in Jesus, not Peter. Verse 39, it says, Peter got up and went with them. I mean, uh, biblically, spiritually, who has the greater authority here? You would think that the apostle has the greater authority than the people, and the apostles used to telling people what to do, but there's a lot of times when the people tell the apostles what to do. You hear me? And so now they're telling Peter, hey, you need to come over here because we need some help says, when he arrived, they led him to the room upstairs. And all the widows approached him, weeping and showing him the robes and clothes, cloths, clothes that Dorcas had made while she was with them. That right there just told us Tabitha's ministry. Throughout this whole thing, going through the Gospels and going through Acts and going through the church in Jerusalem, we know that the men died early and there were a lot of widows that needed support. And so they were dependent upon their family first to support them, then they were dependent upon the church to do that. Tabitha took it upon herself to minister to the widows specifically. We're commanded to take care of the widows and take care of the orphans, and understanding the context of the time, that was a big deal. That still is supposed to happen today. The church is still responsible for the widows and the orphans. And so now, Tabitha has made this whole thing. She's made them robes. She's, made them, she's taken care of them, provided for them. And they are hurting. We've lost somebody that's important to us as widows. She's ministered to us. She's loved us. Verse 40, it says, Peter sent them all out of the room. Hmm. He knelt down, prayed, and turning toward the body, said, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes, saw Peter, and sat up. He gave her his hand and helped her stand up. Now, I had an intern this summer. His name was Kyle. And Kyle hung out with me all summer long. He did whatever I did. For like two months, Kyle 
hung out with people. We did camp together. We got ready. We went to, he went to all my meetings and everything else. And then like with a month left, I sat Kyle down and said, dude, okay, it's time for you to stop following me. It's time for you to start doing your own ministry this next month. I want you to go do your own thing. You have the same spirit in you that I have in me, and the spirit's going to lead you in ministry, so I'm going to trust that the spirit does that. He literally imitated me the first part of the summer, and then he was on his own the second. This is exactly what's happened with Peter. He hung out with Jesus, and he watched everything that Jesus did. And guess what he did just right here? He imitated exactly what Jesus did. I mean, if you take, the, take this account of Peter raising Dorcas Tabitha from the dead and you compared it with Jesus' raising of Jairus' daughter back in Mark chapter 5, it was exactly the same thing. In both cases, the morning people were put out of the room. You guys need to leave the room. Clear the room. And the words that were spoken were almost identical. Jesus said, Talutha Kumi, which was little girl. And Peter said, Tabitha Kumi. In the Aramaic, they were almost exactly alike. Called him by name, get up. Just get up. He's doing exactly what he saw his Savior do. Now, Jesus took the girl by the hand before he actually spoke to her which was wrong. Jesus is not supposed to touch a dead person's body. Jesus wasn't concerned about that. He wasn't concerned about being defiled in that sense. Now, Peter, on the other hand, he's a good Jew. He's not touching Tabitha. He waited until he said the words and Tabitha woke up. Then he took her by the hand. But it was so similar that Luke would bring this to the view of the people that they could see exactly. In both instances, the power of God that raised that person from the dead for the dead person to actually exercise their faith in God. Peter copied exactly what Jesus taught him. It says he called the saints... He called the saints and the widows and presented her alive. Can you imagine? I mean, I, I get that it would be exciting to see Tabitha alive, but the fact that she was dead and now she's alive, people are talking about that. Not just that Tabitha's alive, but she was dead. I think it's interesting that when says Luke call it says he called the saints and the widows Peter knew at this point that the widows were important to Tabitha hey I, I I want you especially to hear this and to see this the one that ministered to you here she is verse 42 it says this became known throughout Joppa that whole Tel Aviv area Today, throughout Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. Peter stayed for some time in Joppa with Simon, a leather tanner. (laughs) 
Okay, so you just read that. Simon, a leather tanner, he stayed in Joppa. He's hung around. He's telling them about Jesus. We think it was a pretty lengthy time that he stayed there. But Simon, a leather tanner, you know what a leather tanner is, right? No big deal. Just described what he did. What's a leather tanner work with? Huh? Dead animals. <laughs> so you're taking a Jewish apostle and you're putting him in a tanner's house that has dead animals around. Like, you talk about defiling. Here's Peter and he's living with the dude. It's getting ready to say, God's saying, hey, I know that you're pretty legalistic, Peter. But we're getting ready to break down a lot of that laws. We're getting ready to teach you grace. And let's just start by putting you in this house of the tanner. <laughs> That's the way God works. You think it's bad? I'm about ready to make it really good. Then here we go. We get to chapter 10. Chapter 10 actually goes, this is like the longest narrative in the book of Acts. It's actually from the beginning of chapter 10 through Acts eleven eighteen. But this whole scenario of the gospel coming to the Gentiles is a pretty big deal. We've literally seen Peter now use the keys to the kingdom twice. Remember, Jesus says, you now have the keys to the kingdom, being the church. And in Acts chapter 2, he brought the good news to the Jews. And then in Acts chapter 8, he actually took it to the Samaritans. And now he's getting ready for the third time, the final time, to use the keys of the kingdom to present it to the Gentiles. This event, chapter 10, probably took place again 10 years after the Pentecost, roughly 40 A.D. And as I was saying, this Jewish mission of sharing the good news with the Gentiles was not easy. There were probably two issues two issues that occurred during this point. One was the question of whether the Gentiles had to become Jews in order to become Christians. <laughs> Think about this. This was their mindset. For you to believe in Jesus, first you have to believe in Jewish traditions. That means you need to be circumcised. That means that you need to adhere to the food restrictions. That you can't eat foods that are unclean. That was the question, can they bypass the Jewish traditions or do they have to take on the Jewish traditions? If the gospel is predominantly with the Jews at this point, this is what they're doing because they don't want to give up their traditions. Then the second issue that they have is, let's say that a, a Jewish Christian actually hangs out with a Gentile Christian. And they're eating dinner together. Is that even possible? The food restrictions were so bad, how can you even like mix and mingle with them over dinner because now you're really complicating this thing and Peter was the one that was probably going to have to answer this. 
And now both questions are going to be answered here in this first few verses. I believe that the issues were not, however, fully settled with the Jewish Christians as a whole. You're going to find out later in Acts chapter 15 that there's still some that are wanting to hold to that Jewish tradition. Even Peter gets his chops busted by Paul later on. But both the issues resurfaced in chapter 15. Here it is, verse 1. There was a man in Caesarea named Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian Regiment. He was a devout man and feared God along with his whole household. He did many charitable deeds for the Jewish people and always prayed to God. All right, so let's break this down. There was a man in Caesarea, Caesarea being 65 miles northwest, just go up the coast from Joppa up to Caesarea. And at the time, Caesarea was a Roman capital of Judea and had some beautiful buildings. I mean, Herod the Great, he was great because he was a great architect. He was a great builder. He built things all over the empire. And he did exactly that. He built homes in different places. It says originally this was a small team now named Strato's Tower. It was rebuilt on grand style by Herod the Great, complete with a man-made harbor, a theater, an amphitheater, a hippodrome, and a temple dedicated to Caesar. The last year, I took 18 people with me to Israel, and we went to Caesarea, and guess what we got to see? This right here. Caesarea right there. We literally took them to Caesarea and we saw the great places that Herod built. And now this is where Peter is supposed to go. This is where you're literally going to find out that the Gentiles get the gospel. But there's this man that's Cornelius that's there right now. He's a Roman centurion. Roman centurion basically means that he was in charge of a hundred men in the army. And he was tired i believe that cornelius was tired of the pagan myths and the many gods that they were worshiping at the time those whole religious rituals and he literally turned to the jewish faith and began praying to the jews god he became very 
religious at this point. He was close to Judaism as he could get without actually becoming a Jew, which means he would have had to been circumcised. Verse 3, it says, About three in the afternoon he distinctly saw in a vision an angel of God who came in and said to him, Cornelius. I mean, at three o'clock, we know now that he's very religious because this was one of the times that you went to the temple and you prayed for the Tamid sacrifice. Three o'clock was it. He's literally praying. Verse 4, it says, Staring at him in awe, he said, What is it, Lord? There's that. That's one of my favorite words in the whole New Testament is awe. I don't think the church today gets to experience awe. I wait. I think the church does get to experience awe. I just don't think they see the awe. Like, uh, I'll I'll say this. Um. I was with uh, Matthew last night, and we were going to the race, and there was confusion about where we were meeting with, up with everybody, and they said, let's meet up here at Pinheads, and, and then we go out back towards Anderson, which is back towards my house, and so I came here to meet with them. I'm like, you guys, it's easier for me just to go home and uh, then come back to Pinheads. Let's just t- take our cars and go to my house little confusion, you know, trying to schedule things. But in the meantime, I walked in here to say hi to Marla. Got a hug from Marla back there. She's part of our family back there every Sunday. And Marla goes, let me introduce you to Ray. Ray's sitting there at the bar and Ray's like, hey, I heard about your church from Andrew Farley and he told me to come here, but I just thought I'd check it out the day before to make sure that there really is a church in here. (laughs) And Ray's hanging out with us today. And I got in the car and I'm talking to Matthew and I'm like saying, Matthew, uh, that's kind of crazy. Sorry for the confusion. We should have just like stayed at our house and met everybody at our house. But I think God wanted us to go to Pinhead's to meet Ray. But if you never see the awe, it's just like total confusion rather than the awe of God. you, you You have to be able to see what God's doing, right? God's doing certain things, and if we just act, it's coincidence, it's irony. Totally missed the awe of God. But he's, he's staring at an angel, and he's in awe. He, it, awe meaning there's a fearful respect there. Did you see what just happened? Did you just see what God did? There was awe in the room. Staring at him in awe, he said, what is it, Lord? I mean, the, the guy is searching. He says, the angel told him, your prayers and your acts of charity have ascended as a memorial offering before God. <laughs> have any of you ever heard that? The things that you're doing, they're a sweet aroma to the Lord. He loves that you love Him. He loves that you're doing things in His name. He loves that you... That's exactly what Cornelius just heard from an angel. An angel is a messenger sent from the Lord. 
So literally, Cornelius is hearing this message from the Lord. It says, now send men to Joppa and call for Simon. He's like going, what in the world is going on here? Joppa. Now send men to Joppa and call for Simon, who is also named Peter. He's lodging with Simon, a different Simon, a tanner whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, he called two of his household servants and a devout soldier, three people, who was one of those who attended him. In other words, this is kind of a weird, but I had a dream. I had a vision. There's an angel that came to me. Really, guys, it was a reality. There was an angel that appeared to me and told me to go get Peter from Joppa and don't let this out. <laughs> it's kind of secretive. But at the same time, it had to be men that he trusted. I, I trust you to go do this because the angel of the Lord told me to get it done. He said, after explaining everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. Verse 9, it says, the next day, if Joppa is 35 miles from Caesarea and they're getting there the next day, they probably took off that night and traveled through the night. 35 miles, that's it's a day to cover. It says, the next day as they were traveling and nearing the city, Peter went up to pray on the roof about noon. He's at Simon the Tanner's house. He became hungry and wanted to eat. But while they were preparing something, he fell into a trance. Now, <laughs> noon was not the, the normal eating time. In fact, you realize that, that, this is a little trivia, that three meals a day didn't really come around until the Industrial Revolution in the 1700s. Right? You guys thought three meals a day was always the way that it was done, but that's only been in practice for like the last three years. But there was a mid-morning meal for the Jews at this time, and then there was a late mid-afternoon meal for them. Typically two meals a day. They're assuming Peter missed the mid-morning meal and he's hungry. And now it's noon, and Simon, being the good guest, is preparing food for him. But because of this, he goes into a trance and begins to have a vision. Verse 11, it says, He saw heaven opened and an object that resembled a large sheet coming down being lowered by its four corners to the earth. Remember where Peter is. He's up on Simon the Tanner's roof. It's hot. He's able to overlook the Mediterranean Sea. What a beautiful sight that is. Typically on those roofs, they had some sort of canopy for shade. They might have even had a cell-like sheet that was up there. But Peter's hungry. He's tired. He goes to a trance and he sees this sheet. Four corners. Four corners. It says this. In it were all four-footed animals and reptiles of the earth and the birds of the sky. A voice said to him, Get up, Peter. Kill and eat. The boy was hungry. 
Remember, he was one of the disciples and they were always worried about food. Remember that back in the Gospels. He's hungry now, and now this voice is saying, get up, Peter, kill and eat. No, Lord. He's looking at all these different animals that they're restricted from eating. He says, no, Lord. Someone said, you can say no by itself, and you can say Lord by itself, but you cannot say no, Lord, together. He's like, no, Lord, Peter said, for I have never eaten anything impure and ritually unclean. God, I've done everything all my life to adhere to the rules that you set before us and Leviticus and everything else, and, and, and I've been good about this. There's no way that I'm going to go kill and eat a pig right now. Too bad for you. And it says, what the voice requested was strictly against the law. Never had he eaten anything or defiled or unclean. Verse 15, it says, Again, a second time, the voice said to him, what God has made clean, Peter, don't call it impure. Hmm. This happened three times, and suddenly the object was taken up into heaven. Peter's on the roof of Simon the Tanner. He's hungry. He's hot. He has a vision. The Lord says, Look at all the animals that I've provided for you to eat. He's like, no. Can't do it. God says to him, not a second time, but a third time. says, look, I've made these clean for you to eat. What in the world is going on here? Peter has no idea. He's about to find out. You're not going to find out today because we're done. But Peter's about to find out that those rules, those laws that he's lived by all of his life, it's all changed. Peter, you're free. You're free to eat. You're free to eat. All those restrictions that you thought that you stuck to, it's all changed. All the Jews held to those food restrictions. The Gentiles looked at them like they were nuts. You have no idea what you're missing out on with bacon. And it's all about to change. It's all about to change, but now you have to come back next week. Father, I, I thank you that it changed, that it changed. And it's not about the food, it's about the freedom in you, the freedom in Christ. And so today we give thanks for that because we are free in Christ. Teach us what that freedom truly means that we are not under the law that's found in Exodus and Leviticus, but we're under the law of Christ, the Spirit that dwells within us, that loves us, teaches us, encourages us, reminds us, and even says, I'll do this for you. Let us figure that out, please. And I trust these things in your holy name. Amen.